0: Welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Stephen Pimper, host of the Public Policy Channel. And today I am pleased to welcome Jonathan Obert and Andrew Poe, who are editors, along with Austin Surratt, of The Lives of Guns, new from Oxford University Press. Uh, Jonathan, Andrew, welcome. Thank you very
1: much. Great to be here. Thanks for having us.
0: You bet. So, so before we actually focus our attention on the book itself, I wonder if I might ask, give you each of you to just introduce yourselves to our listeners, tell us maybe a little bit about your interests and your background, and if you can say a word about uh, your additional editor, that would be terrific as well.
2: Sure. Um, so, um, my name is Jonathan Overt. Um, uh, I'm an assistant professor of political science at Amherst College. Um, I've taught here since 2014. Uh, my interests broadly construed involves the juxtaposition between um, violence and participation and uh, political institutions in the United States and I've done work on a variety of topics related to public and private forms of violence Um, uh, and uh, uh, yeah it's a pleasure to be here
1: my name is Andrew Poe I'm also an assistant professor in the political science department I've been here since 2010 My work is as a political theorist and my research focuses on democracy and the effective foundations that help or hinder democratic experiences. I'm particularly interested in extremism, resistance, uh, and the psychological and emotive logics that might operate within democratic life. Our other editor, Austin Serrett, uh, is a professor in both the political science and law, jurisprudence and social thought departments here at Amherst College. His work uh, has ranged over a variety of disciplines uh, within those two fields, but is often focused on law and violence and certain Moments of inconsistency or interruptions that might appear in the law itself.
0: So, why don't we talk about the lives of of guns? It's an edited collection, which should be obvious by now, given that we're talking about you all as editors. Um, and and one of you 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 frame early on in your introduction. You 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 ask a question, and that question is as follows: What if guns are not merely the carriers of action? But also actors themselves, and it at least seem, seems to me in my reading that that's 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 a, a way in which you have organized the, the the logic of the book so I wonder if I can turn it over to the both of you and ask you to talk a little bit about about what that means and what we learn from the various contributions to this volume uh, sure so I'll start so this
2: is uh, Jonathan over again the um... I'd say the impetus for this volume came out of a series of discussions we were having about the state of research on gun violence in the United States. In particular, although with uh, a sort of global um, uh, global interest as well, uh, the, the, um, the main question and that, this, that the book is, is organized around is trying to understand the, the effect of the materiality of guns on the choices actors make in situations where violence erupts. So that's kind of what, what that might mean rather than sort of thinking about the existing approaches, which sort of treat guns primarily in instrumental ways as tools, as uh, on either side as sort of, of uh, either side of the gun debate as either sort of a tool, simply responsive to someone's um uh, you know instincts this is the old uh, adage that uh, you know guns don't kill people people kill people uh, but on the other side of the debate as well is a kind of a pathology a pathologization of guns and uh, uh, many who sort of thought of guns in that way have treated them as as uh, objects to be regulated as, as a sort of uh, objects of legal uh, uh, um, uh, intervention, or as vectors for disease. There's a, a large literature in public health that sort of reconceptualized gun violence using the disease metaphor. We we found both of these approaches sort of interesting, but we didn't think that that um, either of them really took seriously some recent uh, research that that some of us are interested in on on questions related to uh, materiality and agency. Um, I'm going to turn this over to uh, Professor Poe real quick.
1: So, yeah, I would add to that, I mean, these were conversations that were raised by anxieties that um, how guns were being talked about were almost ancillary to the violence that was resulting from guns or those who were propagating that violence. And we started to worry that those sorts of discussions were while incredibly useful and illuminating were in some radical sense partial, and that paying attention to the materiality of guns and the effects of the material structures and the history of those structures would allow us to see new facets, both of guns themselves, but also of these violences. So we started looking at Um, literatures involving new materialisms, paying attention to how we might consider other forms of agency or other sites of agency besides simply collapsing into the framework that um, the human is the only agent capable of evincing change and instead starting to see human beings as part of a network with guns and other instruments of violence, each informing each other.
2: And there's there are inflections of Latour and um, other people who've thought a lot about questions of how objects intervene in social process with a kind of an independent life. We didn't necessarily want to reproduce those arguments. What instead we wanted to do was think about how the very fact of a gun existing in the hand of somebody or in the life of somebody might shape the way that they make decisions. Because I think a lot of times we abstract decision-making and treat it um, as either through rational or expressive ways, as though it were uh, uh, the product of sort of, of, of an independent cognition. But in reality, the, the fact that guns exist shapes the possibilities of action that people have. And we wanted to take that seriously. And we convened a, a group of contributors who we sort of ask this question to, and and ask them to respond to it, and the, the the book is a is a product of that.
0: Dig a little bit into that sort of the the, the gun as fact as to that materiality to the the the, the ways in which it, they 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 do have lives, and you uh, you organize the response to that question that you put it your various contributors uh, into three kinds of lives that you suggest guns may have political lives, social lives and personal lives. Uh, can you, can you maybe walk through each of those? Tell us a little bit about the kinds of questions that appear in each of those sections and maybe highlight some of the, the contributions that you think might draw particular attention to, to each of those categories for us.
2: So uh, yeah, so we, we, we sort of grouped the contributions into, as you said, these three uh, categories, um, the political lives of guns. And the way we think about the political lives of guns is our first category um, has to do with the way that guns affect the, the experiences of political subjects, right? So um, one of our contributors, uh, Elizabeth Anker, uh, who's a professor at uh, George Washington University, has written uh, on, about a concept she calls mobile sovereignty, which is essentially trying to understand the way that uh, the, uh, that those who carry guns bring with them uh, in, in a material expression, in some ways, of the kind of sovereignty that we traditionally associate with the state—the notion that people can can um, can make decisions over life or death in a kind of mobile way, as opposed to the territorial. Sort of bounded and constructed state, uh, the the individual is actually acts in some sense as a, as a sovereign agent, or at least tries to produce the effect of sovereignty. And of course, there are all sorts of of, of um, incompletions that come with that, uh, because it's often rooted in a sense of fear. And she has a, a very interesting sort of analysis of that. Um, Andrew actually also has a, a chapter in this uh, section, and I'll let
1: him talk about that. So, yeah, you know, my chapter in a sense, built off of a shared anxiety that Anchor raises for us um, regarding how sovereignty might be bound up in these material conditions. And I became particularly interested in the means of production and the histories of production of different types of guns and how we might be facing a current moment of crisis in 3D printing or a current moment of emancipation. That is, I'm interested in my chapter in thinking through what might be at stake in how we regard finding ourselves liberated from, or at least having the chance to be liberated from, um, traditional modalities of manufacturing and how this new conditionality of gun manufacturing and 3D printing may or may not draw from sort of more early modern modalities of production. Uh, Tim Luke, I think, adds to this anxiety a little bit, and the three of us self-identify as political theorists, and so, uh, in a sense, all of us are concerned, I think, with raising the question of How we might rethink or reimagine the materiality of the gun. Luke's essay in particular seems concerned with the kinds of guns that might produce different uh, experiences of agency, and in particular, uh, how these different radical material genealogies um, might emanate from. Assault rifles, especially. So with, I mean, just to sort of sum up the
2: idea of this political life of guns, I mean, the traditional way, I think, of thinking about guns, um, you know, certainly within our field of political science is really, again, in this instrumental fashion. They are, they are uh, objects often used for resistance or for oppression. Fine. Fine. but in well, i think what these these contributions really sort of pin down is the notion that guns are also part of the way people's subjectivity as political actors is made and especially in the united states i mean our essays do focus on the united states but one could imagine this same kind of project um, occurring and there has been actually a lot of interesting research on how guns are are um, are are made into fetishes and so forth in sort of Af- you know various african contexts and that kind of thing that The the effects are going to be, I think, important and irreducible. So we don't – if we're going to try to understand gun politics in the United States, we don't simply want to um, treat them as tools because they aren't, right? They're also part of the way people's um, uh, civic expression is sort of – and civic identity sort of constituted.
0: And there, I mean, there are source, there are sources of power too. they are sources of individual power, but also potential challenges against state power. Right?
2: They they can be. I mean, certainly, uh, b- but they also can be uh, uh, objects of recreation that 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 tie a person's uh, uh, you know experience of shooting to uh, uh, you know a larger myth of the place of the gunfighter in American culture. I think. Tim Luke's article in particular uh, or essay sort of, of points to some of those 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 aesthetic moments that are important. So guns are for sure a form of power, but we don't want to we don't want to necessarily reduce the political life of guns to simply a, uh, a moment of oppression or resistance.
0: So so that's a bit about the, the political lives of guns. Talk to us about about what you think of as the social lives of guns.
2: Well, so I mean, the this, the essence of a gun is that somebody shoots and somebody's shot, and those relations of who is sho- who shoots and who is shot are not random. Uh, the are generally not random. They certainly can be, um, but but what 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 shooting and being shot or carrying and or not carrying do in some sense is also reproduce social boundaries and produce social boundaries. They produce. Uh, boundaries of race, class. Um, uh, those, are, those are ways that we can think about the sort of social lives of guns. There are also uh, uh, ways in which civilization is inscribed in dis- discourses about guns. Um, so our, our contributors to this, this second section in the book on the social lives of guns all kind of focus on the way that, the, again, the materiality of the gun as an object uh, encodes, produces, and it's, it's, it sometimes helps reproduce the the kinds of social boundaries that um, are salient in in um, in American and in sort of western Western life.
1: Um, I mean Hayes's essay uh, is particularly insightful for the tracing of these boundaries in part because she focuses on, the presence of drones as a sort of radical reconceptualization of the limits of our imagination of the gun itself. So if we have a traditional figuration of what counts as a gun and what a gun might be used for, Hayes shows us how drones may in a sense be a fulfillment of that fantasy and with radical consequences, because in a sense, we don't, Just see drones as being utilized in militaristic structures. We also see drones appearing in more ordinary, everyday environments near playgrounds, used to take pictures of new houses that have come on the real estate market. All of a sudden, drones are appearing everywhere and are becoming regularized. Well, what consequences does that regularization of the drone have for us and how we conceptualize or ignore? the violent origins of, of that object.
2: And so one of the, and and sort of building on that, one of the key uh, um, uh, insights that Heather Hayes brings to this essay is to think about how people relate to drones from that sort of question. And she, she talks about how drones, uh, people who have frequently been the target of drones, both overseas and to some extent here in the U S at least increasingly, um, drone surveillance primarily but also drone attacks especially in in afghanistan uh, attribute human kinds of qualities to the drone The drone is a sort of autonomous agent that's the point of a drone right as, as, a, as a as a as a word and and drones and have a have a they emit sound that that interlocutors have compared to speech um, they they can be uh, you know they 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 don't have the same kind of interactive capability as human beings sort of by design and that is itself sort of part of the power of the drone in producing a different a sort of distinction between the target
1: and the and the um and the the perpetrator uh in in that sense i think we also start to see a different use of the term lives from the previous section so if the first part of the book is concerned with how in a certain way these objects are living in, in relation or for political organization. The, the second category shows us more of how human beings are responding to those categorizations and how they, in some sense, take these objects into their life worlds so uh, Joanna Bork's essay is
2: also uh, uh, fits in this section, and she she writes about um, the ways in which dum-dum bullets, uh, which is a, a form of semi-jacketed ammunition that was developed um, by the British uh, during the imperial uh, period in the late nineteenth century, were sort of the, the way that dum-dum bullets were understood through a series of investigations into uh, international. Um, uh, 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 some legal legal uh, uh, conferences, in particular the Hague Peace Conference in 1899, in which the dum-dum bullet was being considered a sort of, uh, or, or the, the question on the table was whether the dum-dum bullet was an uncivilized kind of a thing to have, and this is a unique moment because. It's, it's, it's not as though technology had never been thought of in civilizing or uncivilizing terms, but dum-dums are a really key part, uh, she argues, at least of the way that, that the British Empire is sort of conceptualizing its diff- – the difference between – and starts to conceptualize the difference between itself as a civilized actor and those who are suited to be targets of those kinds of guns – or those, sorry, those kinds of bullets – who are the uncivilized savage, right? So the dum-dum is now going to be reserved for those who are uncivilized. And it becomes a key part of actually delineating those differences, she argues.
1: One of the really exciting things about Bork's essay in particular is how she narrates for us this move from the creation of this technology to then its Implementation in social lives and structures. Mm -hmm. So, this move from uh, a fantasy or an anxiety in a community, a medical community originally that might have wanted to think through the radicality of these violences and to see the limits of them, to all of a sudden find those same technologies becoming productive of social divisions. Right.
2: Now, one of the so so Joanna Bork's essay is primarily sort of organized around uh, investigating discourses. Um Franklin zimmering the very eminent criminologist, uh contributed a very different kind of essay in which he looks at the at the the moment of interaction between police officers and primarily African American unarmed men in uh in sort of policing scenarios. And his his work is, is, is focused – he's been one of the foundational sort of thinkers about guns as having a kind of, of – I, 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 he certainly wouldn't agree with like the, the notion that they have agency. But he, he's he been very important in helping us rethink the role of guns in, um particularly in sort of criminological uh, theory. But this, this essay is fascinating because it focuses on the ways in which uh, police officers by virtue of their training in a moment of interaction – are predisposed to seeing African-Americans, uh, men and their movement as, as sort of suggesting violence. And because of that, the recourse to, uh, to gunplay on the part of, of some police officers uh, is, is, more, is more likely. And, and his, by focusing on the specific moment of interaction, in other words, the, the fact that police have guns with them, is and, and and bring with them into these particular interactions a sort of conceptualization of, of the other, in this case primarily African American um, men, uh, accentuates and actually makes the situation more dangerous than otherwise, um, where guns are commonly construed as mom- as a sort of a a, a form of protection, of self protection, particularly for police officers, and certainly are. Um, the the fact of the gun changes the interaction or has the potential to change the interaction between uh, a a potential suspect and a a police officer. And he has a a very interesting um,
1: um, argument uh, to that regard. I mean, in that way, I I mean, I don't know if you read the essay this way or not, but the the traversing through education the usually perceived relation between the object of violence and its utilizer allows for a kind of union or the breaking of a boundary so that yeah. now the police officer is with the gun, and the two take on a new mm-hmm. kind of agency that wasn't yet possible when each was alone
2: and if we don't understand that um, our public policy implication the public policy implications for how do we sort of reduce problems of 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 uh, police brutality become complicated uh, because uh as as uh Zimmering shows the the what we really need to do is take seriously the moment of interaction and he prescribes a series of of you know ways that we might um train police officers to better cope with that moment of interaction not to you know at the sort of radical end to not have guns with them because that might actually make them safer them and, the, of course, the interlocutor. Now, you know, this is a, obviously a controversial point, but it largely tracks this concept that, that the gun itself is inscribing social division and is producing social division. And so there is a social life of guns that, um, that sort of acts in, in a way uh, according to a different logic from, from you know, our previous sort of grouping of essays, uh, the, the uh, political
0: life. This is the New Books Network. You are listening to Jonathan Obert and Andrew Poe talk about their new book, The Lives of Guns, from Oxford University Press. I'm Stephen Pimper, host of the Public Policy Channel. Uh, So Jonathan and Andrew, we've heard a little bit about the political lives of guns and the social lives of guns. Uh, Talk to us a little bit about what you describe as the personal lives of guns.
2: Yeah, so the personal or private lives of guns um, uh, sort of scales down the register a little bit. And the uh, contributors to this section of the book focus on the ways in which um, subjects embed guns in, say, circuits of production, marketing, and sales, as well as the way that guns, the possession of guns, the keeping of guns uh, impinges itself upon bodily practices. Um, and this is a very fascinating series of essays that... Uh, Uh, David Yamane's um, uh, uh, essay, he's a a very eminent scholar of uh, gun culture 2.0, is is based on an ethnography he did at a um, uh, concealed carry gun show, um, or rather a a gun show in which many uh, sort of accoutrements of the concealed carry lifestyle were were presented. And what he does is he shows that... um, Carrying a gun is not ever simply about carrying a gun. It's also about becoming part of a larger kind of, not just lifestyle, but a a larger sort of network of material objects, including fashion, uh, you know, certain kinds of fashion that, that allow one to carry a gun uh, in a concealed way, um, you know, purses that have secret pockets and so forth. uh, And that, you know, this notion that, that people have of concealed carry, which is that you know we carry guns on a, you know on our body all the time to protect ourselves, also embeds them in a larger community of sort of not just like-minded people, but people who are, are you know in this market exchange who are sharing ideas about how to carry guns, who are um, coming to these expos and sort of of um, um, uh, generating a complex of other kinds of material goods that embed the concealed carry gun itself in a in a in a in a in a, in a kind of cultural complex
1: and what it ends up meaning is that having a gun is not itself a singular fact but it ends up generating its own sort of new life for the mm-hmm. gun owner so that all of a sudden the fact of owning a gun becomes generative of these personalizations these customizations of first the gun but as a result oneself and one's own person mm-hmm. all of a sudden it is not enough to just have a gun but instead we are opened up to um what becomes a, a new kind of life a second life for the person who owns the gun and and the gun itself together
2: Right. And guns are part of market exchange, right? Uh, there's a there's a social life, uh, an economic life, a market life to guns in terms of the way that they circulate as commodities. That itself is very interesting because they're objects to be collected, they're objects to be uh, sort of of adored and compared. Um, there can be family heirlooms. Lots of different ways in which uh, the circuits of exchange will impinge upon the way guns are are realized in people's um, private lives. Um, Harrell Shapira's uh, sort of evocatively titled piece, How to Use the Bathroom with a Gun and Other Techniques of the Armed Body, does exactly what it suggests. It it looks at the ways in which needing to carry a gun in a concealed fashion, um, to be ready to use it at any time, create... Interesting sort of inconveniences at times and moments that you wouldn't expect, like using a bathroom. How does one hide a gun when one has to, has to use the restroom? Um, the whole point of a concealed carry is to, to make sure that, that not only are you armed and ready, but that other people um, are are don't necessarily know whether you are or not. It's a, it's a form of deterrence, right? And he, through his ethnographic work at a gun range in Texas, um, he focuses on what Marcel Mos has called the techniques of the body. He's trying to understand the way that that the use of guns, training to use the guns, overcoming the fear of using guns, carrying guns in this concealed way, and other and other sort of facets of of the way guns become part of our bodies in a sense, uh, how that then again has this interesting way of constructing a certain kind of private life for the person who carries the gun as well as the the gun being sort of part of that person's identity.
1: I mean, what he also shows sort of uh, ingeniously is the qualities of which we could then be educated or not into – the imaginary encodings that the gun might allow for. So how do we not just conceal the object of the gun, but how does the experience of that activity of concealment create for us a kind of imaginary universe where we are speculating on what effects the object could have For us or others in the future.
2: And in fact, um, one of the again, very one might call it paradoxical effects of concealed carry is that uh, having a gun on you all the time, according to Shapira and his research, uh, makes you constantly aware of in a sense your own vulnerability right the fact that you have this gun because you're constantly having to accommodate your body to it it's uncomfortable to carry it requires special maintenance and care is uh is a is a kind of reproduces uh this this sense of being uh, uh perhaps under threat all the time even in the bathroom and so um this from the sort of very micro scale here where we see guns as as a, as, as really part of somebody's body, um, to the kind of macro scale where discourses of guns help and, and bullets help inscribe civilizational boundaries. I think our book is sort of trying to range across a bunch of, of scopes and scales to find these moments in which, you know, we think of guns maybe in a way that is, uh, where the metaphor best suited is to think of them as actors rather than as, as, as tools um, and so we sort of, you know, in our, in our, in our, um, our sort of broader thinking about the the, the the implications or the way we would like this book to be uh, received is to force people who thought a lot about guns to to interrogate some of the categories they're using because we think a lot of the problem with the gun debate uh, in the United States and elsewhere has to do with some of the 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 misrecognitions and uh, misunderstandings that come about because we don't understand that guns have this independent effect in people's lives.
0: This is the New Books Network. We have been speaking with Jonathan Obert and Andrew Poe about their utterly fascinating new book called The Lives of Guns from Oxford University Press. Uh, I'm Stephen Pimper, host of the Public Policy Channel. Jonathan, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today.
2: Thank you, Stephen. Thank you very much, Stephen.